Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Well, Miss Pierce, how are you today? You know, why don't you call me Miss Pierce? Yeah, that's better than Sharon. Sometimes. You can call me Dr. Pierce. Ooh, Dr. Pierce. <laughs> hey. Uh, yeah, Dr. Pierce. Yeah. Yale well, where are says we today? That, Yale says that you have to now. Y'all does? Yale. Oh, Yale. Actually, I thought you said y'all. Hey, listen, Pierce and I have a friend who talks really, really loud all the time. So he tells everybody that he's got two women that went to Yale, one that went to Y-A-L-E and one that went to Y-E-L-L. <laughs> well, sometimes I think you're saying y'all when you say yell. I am. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, well, where are we today? Uh, we are in Pennsylvania at the state meeting, and we're at Hershey, and I have eaten a lot of chocolate. Mm. Drank, drank it too. <laughs> I was going to say, you might have drank it too, yeah. So we have a wonderful crowd in front of us today. Oh you know, I woke up this morning, looked outside, and there was the beautiful scenery and looked like, you know, the trees and maybe some rolling hills. And the sun came up, and there was a big hot air balloon out my window. So I knew it was going to be a great day. Uh, it is a great day. Even though I only slept for two hours last hey, night. But, hey, know, listen. Hey. Well, a lot of people in this room maybe only have slept for a couple hours because. DJ Pierce was in the house last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, that wasn't my case, but uh, but maybe other people's. Yeah, well, so. why are you looking at me? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you introduce our, our guest today? Because, uh, you know, I'm interested uh, in, in hearing more. But, I mean, basically today we're going to be talking about challenges. Yes. And opportunities and, and opportunities. Opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. So... I'll yes. let you do the introduction. So we have with us today, Brett Fadgen. Did I say that last name correctly? Yes, ma'am, you did. Oh, my gosh. Um, and Brett's going to talk to us about challenges that he has had to face. He's a CRNA uh, here in Pennsylvania, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, I feel privileged to, to share the stage and uh, be interviewed on your podcast today in front of all these people. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, again, my name's Brett. I'm a Pisces, <laughs> and I'm a nurse anesthetist. Well, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, and I'm a little bit different than everybody in this room. I was born with a physical disability. I was born without my right arm, um, just below my elbow. So as all of you are sitting here from different parts of the States, you're thinking, a nurse anesthetist with one arm? Yeah, it's, it's true. So... But a little bit more about me is I grew up outside of Pittsburgh with my mom. I was born with a congenital defect they believe is from amniotic banding. They, they don't know. Mm -hmm. It just happened. 
I think I grew up like any other boy or girl in North America. Um, I visited the hospital a little more frequently probably than, than most. I know I was fitted with my first prosthetic arm when I was uh, between four and six months. The reason for that was I needed to learn how to crawl, um, as we all did, but uh, I needed a prosthetic to, to help me with that. And then I had to transition to a different prosthetic whenever I started to walk in, in all through childhood. Some things were different back then is I had to get a new prosthetic pretty often because I would break it. Not so much because I was banging it off the walls or anything. It just technology and just trying to be an active kid, mm-hmm. you know, just like anyone else. And I always say like anyone else because I think I'm like anyone else, you know? Yeah. Right. So, but I grew up, like I said, in, in uh, the North Hills of Pittsburgh. Um, I was active in activities, football, um, basketball. And I joked around like with anyone else. I was Brett. I was the one-armed kid. I was the one-armed man. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did did other kids, did they say things to you? Was it, I mean, because it was at a different time, obviously. Yeah, it was, uh, and I remember that my mom would just tell me, you're just with one arm, just like some people have blue eyes and some people have brown eyes. Gosh, I love your right? mom already. <laughs> Talk, tell us about your mom. Yeah, because you said she was your biggest supporter, and you said a couple other things that I thought were really interesting about your mom. So, Well, she uh, she, she was a single parent. Uh, she was a nurse, and uh, she, she was my biggest supporter. You know, She never brought my arm into anything. It was always, you do you know, you do you, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, she looked out for me. She was overprotective, a little bit too overprotective. I remember I was in a uh, uh, a fight on the school bus because someone kicked me out of the third to the back row seat. And it had nothing to do with me having one arm, but I took my arm off and I hit him with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was perfectly acceptable, right? What any eight-year-old would do, right? Um so I had to sit in the front seat of the school bus for, I don't know. Oh, my God. Maybe five how months. The, how <laughs> did you explain that in the principal's office? You know, I, I honestly don't remember. I felt like I was the victim, you know? <laughs> and uh, it just, it, it, it happened. Armed but, uh, and dangerous. Brent literally. Imagined. You know, that, but that was my, that was a, an event that I remember from my second or third grade year, you know? Oh, it, uh, nice way, little parochial I just got school. that. I just said armed <laughs> I am so sorry. No, oh, Lord. But when I grew up in that era, I would have fun with it, and I would joke around with it because even today, when I go and introduce myself, you know, how many people reach forward with their left hand? Nobody. So the first yeah. instinct is the right hand, and depending right. if I have my battery on and my prosthesis or not, determines the type of grip that you get with mm-hmm. it. Um, and even even today, mm-hmm. um, you know, or not not specifically today, but with the exhibitors, you know, hey, how are you? I'm Brett, blah, blah, blah. Where you, you know, just casual conversation with some of the recruitments and, and then they notice it and you take that double take mm-hmm. and uh, in the conversation about, you know, packages and, and what other institutions have to offer. A couple of times it's like, are, are you a student? Are, are you a CRNA? And, I'm like, yeah, I am a, a CRNA. And they're like, oh. And there's a pause because they're computing. Wait, that was a prosthesis. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, back to growing up, um, like I said, I felt like I was just like anyone else. Yeah. You know, I remember in high school taking typing class 
there wasn't a book and, and the teacher didn't know how to teach me how to type, you know, because I, I, I wanted to say, I'm like, hey, is there a book or, you know, how do I do this? Yeah. You know, because we still had typewriters back then and um, couldn't just do it with our thumbs. Yeah. Or thumb. You had the ASDF, but the JKL semicolon you didn't have. Yeah. Jesus. What is wrong with Well, that's what it was. It's home (laughs) road. I remember this. So, and uh, I remember the teacher telling me, I I don't know how I can teach you, but just do the best that you can, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think about yesterday with Chief Zenon, you Mm -hmm. know, saying, do the best that you can. Some days, the best you can can is just getting out of bed. Mm. Right? Right. And I don't think I experienced any days like that, but there are things, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So when did you realize that you had a disability? Well, that was pretty later on. That was probably in anesthesia school, hmm. you know, believe it or not. So so before that, you were a paramedic, though. Yeah. I mean, you, you went from being a paramedic to an RN to, to back to anesthesia school. Let, let, talk a little bit about you know, that journey, because, you know, you, you also said something to me, you said, I realized I had a disability at one point, but I wasn't disabled. Yeah. Um, so when I became a paramedic and became a firefighter, there's a lot of physical, um, tasks that you have to complete. And, uh, there are so many different experiences. You talked about having to go up and down the ladder with a hundred pounds. 200 pound uh, mannequin so for things when I was uh, when I was growing up and I chose public safety as a career like I I grew up down the street from a fire department so I would always go there cut the grass and uh, I really enjoyed um, the discipline so you wound up being somebody who runs into burning buildings it was the discipline and the camaraderie and excuse me I'm just uh when we were talking about the story, I'm just taking it to a different level. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's okay. yeah. But that's okay. So, but um, but with that, the the method of teaching is well, you have to do it and you have to prove yourself, and like anyone. Mm-hmm. And so, there I was, took my arm off, and I just went and did it. Yeah. And there were some cases like the this one time um, to go through part of the procedure, you have to rescue a person from a second story window or from a second story, get them out onto the, uh, the ladder and bring them down by yourself. So to do that, I didn't use a prosthesis. I had to put the 24 foot ladder up myself, climb up, crawl into the room, get the 200 pound mannequin, do some webbing, get them up on, onto the ladder and bring them down. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And there were three people in my class that couldn't, couldn't do it. Oh my God. Wow. So, and some of these people were, they were bigger than me. You know, they, they were more fit. And uh, I was like, cool. You know, it was a confidence booster. So I was able to do those skills, you know, becoming a paramedic. Um, airway, advanced airway skills is scope of practice. But in the environment where pre-hospital is intubating, it's an emergency. It's life or death. You know, people are in cardiac arrest. They're in acute respiratory failure, miles away from the hospital. Or when working on the helicopter, you're in the middle of a highway, you know, maybe mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50 minutes away from the nearest hospital that wouldn't even know what to do with a, a traumatic patient. And so I would do, I learned those skills and I did it differently. You know, I didn't open the mouth with the scissor technique with my right hand. I just did it my own way. 
So fast forward, uh, still working as a firefighter. You know, we had a house. We just had a baby. Uh, my wife's a nurse. And uh, trying to figure out what we want to do. Well, there was a colleague that I had from the fire department who is a nurse anesthetist and still practices today. And he said to me, so what are you going to do with your life? I'm like, what do you mean? You know? <laughs> and you done enough? I mean, really? Yeah. And uh, it was kind of funny because Kathy and I had just talked about, you know, what our, we reevaluated what our goals were. And uh, Fran said, he's like, so what are you going to do? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. And I said, we were talking about different things and different career choices. And uh, he said, what, do you ever think about anesthesia? I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. You know? And um, he's like, I think you could do it. You know? I'm like, yeah, I played around with the idea, talked to Kathy. And she's like, well, you know, you're already paramedic on the helicopter. You're already a fireman. Let's go. I'll support you. We'll go become a nurse. You know? So I did that. And uh, worked in the cardiothoracic ICU. Still flew. And then uh, I'm like, hey, I'm going to. I'm going to try this anesthesia thing. So I applied. I got into, you know, one of the a high-ranking school in the country and uh, started the journey. It was good. So what was it like to apply? I mean, you know, did you get any resistance when you applied or any, any additional questioning that maybe someone who didn't, who had two arms would not have gotten? So one of the experiences I had is... Um, through the interview process at different schools. Um, I asked all, answered all the questions, talked about different hemodynamics. I was, I was right on, you know, I had a great interview and I, I was told like, Hey, you had a great interview, but I'm not, I, I can't accept you mm. as they looked out. Yeah. You know, no way. And, uh, mm. I'm like, wow, that was pretty abrupt, but I appreciated that right. because I knew, you know, and Did then it put the fire in your belly though. Do you think that helped? Sometimes some of my failures think, have pushed me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, every day, there's always a challenge. Mm -hmm. Or there's always an interaction. But with those interactions, you either get out of bed or you don't. And you have to persevere through it. So, so tell us what that looked like in anesthesia. So you did get into school, I got obviously. into school, yeah. And uh, it was good. I was passing all my tests. Um, we were de developing study groups. And we're getting ready to go to clinical. So all excited, you know, everyone's all happy. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I got this, you know. We do our simulation. And uh, I intubated the patient, got the A-line in. And I'm feeling pretty good. But then, at the end of it, I found out that I needed to remediate. And what did that look like? I, I didn't know. I'm like, why? I, I, I intubated the person two other people that didn't and they had to remediate as well mm -hmm. so I didn't pass and I still had to start clinical and I'm like hmm, how am I going to do this so my program director and I we went down to the disability resource center and that's when we were that's when I was given three options resign from the program transfer into a different program or declare I had a disability and there was a lot more behind it. It wasn't just like, hey, these are the three things. Uh, the program is very supportive, and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the program director or, or the university. So I went home, sat down with Kathy. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm 30. 
They're old at that point. I, I right? Mean, like over the hill. I know. Right? After watching people <laughs> dance, I'm like, man, last night, I'm like, <laughs> if I got on the ground, I wouldn't be able to get back up. You noticed I didn't do that, right? <laughs> I, <laughs> so, um, so I'm like 30 years old. I have two small kids. Yeah. My wife went back to school full-time, and I left my full-time job. Hmm. And I have one arm. And uh, I viewed that I was being asked to say I, I was disabled. That's tough. I mean, you didn't you didn't see yourself like that at no. all. I mean, Jesus, I can't go up and down a ladder with a two hundred pound mannequin. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I I've got it. I, I didn't play football. I didn't do everything in mm-hmm. high school. I mean, you were. It was awesome. <laughs> I. It was hard for me to swallow. Mm. To say that, like I, I like I said, I felt like I was like anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. But at that point, I felt different. So how did you make your mind up from that point? I'm assuming you and Kathy sort of had a talk. and Oh, we had a long I, time. I imagine <laughs> after meeting her that she probably encouraged you um, in, a, in a wonderful way. Absolutely. <laughs> she still does today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what it was. We sat down. We talked. And uh, she said, you can do this. Behind every good man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, you had your mother and then Kathy, so mm-hmm. both, both of them encouraging you. So, what are your children, boys, girls? Boy, girl, boy. Mm-hmm. Connor's seventeen. I have a fifteen-year-old uh, daughter and a nine-year-old little boy. You know that little girl's going to kick your ass, right? <laughs> She's she does already. You know, they're all uh, they're all great kids, and uh, all give us challenges every day. You know, whether it's forty degrees and they want to wear shorts. Or even 30 degrees. I'm like, I don't need a sweatshirt. I don't need, <laughs> you know, yep. always something. Um, but this is the first time I've disclosed any of this in, into this volume. And, and I, uh, I apologize for some of the, uh, the emotion that it brings out. But, um, you know, it, my biggest supporter right here, we, uh, we got through it together. But it was learning. You know, the, it was 2009. And, uh, and the ADA had changed, added a couple more additions and amendments and uh, when my program director and I and the uh, disability resource officer had talked um, those were my options to declare that I had a disability would enable protection for me and for the university and the opportunity to do things a little different and so that's what we did we collaborated collaborated with the clinical sites each of the clinical sites and I had access to the simulation lab where where I would learn what I needed to do to be successful, staying as close to the guidelines to perform procedures and skills that have been set forth and governed by the COA and, and all the other government governing bodies. And then after I would do that, I would work with faculty to ensure that they felt comfortable that I would be able to do this in clinical with collaboration with the clinical sites in with her approval. So that added a little bit extra time in the week. So, and this is after Kathy and I talked and hey, we're going to move forward with it. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. 
From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So, Brett, you had, you had Kathy, you had children at this time. You're in anesthesia school. Now you, you, you figure out that maybe I am a little different than everybody else, and it resonates with you. And on top of all that, you spent extra hours, I think 20 hours a week, in, in the lab trying to learn your technique, right? So you had to really yeah. make a technique that would just work for you, right? That is correct. Um, I would go after clinical, after class, before class, whenever there was an opportunity for me to get into the lab. And at the beginning, to meet with faculty to make sure that I was doing things correctly, that they of how to provide safety anesthesia care. So and twenty uh, hours, you said. On average, yeah. Twenty extra hours. Okay, students out here in the <laughs> audience, do you have twenty extra hours? No. 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 Mm-hmm. Let me ask you something, because in the in the back of my mind, and I don't know that you've been ever, ever been asked this, but did you think about quitting? I think that there were times that I thought. It was really hard. Yeah. And to say that, you know, it would be easy to just give up, I don't think I ever thought that I was yeah. going to quit. I, I knew you were going to say that. We didn't We didn't rehearse this. We didn't talk about this or anything, but I just knew that you never thought about quitting. No. Yeah. I think it's you getting know. hot over here because the fire in your belly <laughs> is about to burn me up over here. No uh, wonder you were a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> Which always amazes me. Anybody who does that, running into burning buildings, that says a lot about who you are right there, in my Thank mind. You. So so how did you have to prove yourself? I mean, you're doing all this extra stuff and so forth. What else was involved in that? I mean, you know, you're meeting with professors. You're, I mean, I'm assuming they're saying, yes, you're doing this right, or no, you're not. And, you know, what all was involved in that? Time. Yeah. Time and support. Um, support at home, uh, support from the faculty, and and time. I needed to figure it out. And uh, one of my professors, when I I had gotten frustrated because there was a technique, I can't remember if it was with central lines or or something I I was just struggling with. And he was really hard on me. And I'm like, I thought this was appropriate before what, what changed. And he said... You have to be better than anyone else. Mm. Mm-hmm. You cannot have any flaw because if you do, they will point it out. Mm. So you have to be perfect with everything, every single time. And I was like, huh. And uh, so I followed that advice and I mastered it, you know, and um, it worked. That, uh, that advice, uh, along with a lot of other advice throughout the, the journey, um, it gave me the motivation to keep going, to figure out different ways, and to be successful. There was no template. I mean, you're no, you're it. Was, uh, you're it. You have to figure all of this out mm-hmm. on your own. Yeah, there wasn't a book, um, but I learned a lot. I think everyone involved learned a lot. I think the the program learned a lot. We collaborated together to make it successful. Mm-hmm. You know, and they didn't have to. 
but they did. Yeah. There's um, a lot about that program. Brett, has, has anyone, you know, reached out to you? Because I know we briefly had you on one of our other podcasts, um, and it was really brief because we were on a panel discussion. But do other CRNAs or other people who want to get in the program who maybe have, you know, things that could limit them, have they reached out to you and asked mm-hmm. you? Because you're the only one in the United States or anywhere that we know of that, you know, has, you know, one arm that gives anesthesia, right? That is correct. According to the NBCRNA, um, there's no no other provider. And, yes, people have reached out. Um, people that are aspiring to, to become nurses, advanced practice degrees in anesthesia, um, and even in public safety. So, and even a, a, a little boy that lives outside of Pittsburgh, a, a mom who, who needed some help, and, uh, and even him. So, hmm. but yeah, there have been. And I'd like to take this opportunity to help all of us and help others. You know, times have changed. There's a lot of things we hear on television, a lot of things that we see, you know, a lot, a lot of volatility in the world, Right. And there's also a lot of opportunity in the world, and it's all on outlook. And I'll refer back to uh, Chief Zenon. Her one of the one of her messages um, was just a. Oh, now I'm going to forget it. That's okay. It happened to me, and you didn't even have three <laughs> chocolate martinis last night. So maybe I should have. <laughs> <laughs> this could be arranged for tonight. So sure. let's talk about if you had one word to describe your journey. Perseverance. You know, mm-hmm. in life, we all have to persevere through something, you know, it might be getting out of work on time, making uh, dinner for the kids, getting to the ball games, getting everyone where they need to be. We all have to persevere through something, mm-hmm. you know, and do the best that you can do every day. You know, we're, we're healthcare providers. We're faced with challenges every day at home, at work, on the street watching tv mm-hmm. you know one thing we haven't discussed though patience yeah, i was gonna you, ask about yeah. that yeah i read your mind yeah you did well and i really wanted to lead in that because um you know my one one of the questions i had was during anesthesia school how were your classmates i mean you know did they embrace you did you did you feel any bias because i know you probably felt bias when you got out you know, I imagine when you meet with patients and, and they see, you know, that you've got a prosthetic arm that, you know, maybe that brings some questions and maybe some Absolutely. bias. You mentioned, you know, walking around the, the exhibit hall and you experienced a little bit of bias then. I mean, talk a little bit about that and, and what that means to you and, and maybe ways that all of us could learn to deal with that better when someone's not exactly like us. Well, patients do. Uh, and have asked questions, and I just tell them how I was born without an arm. This is what I'm going to do, and typically a lot of times I have to put the IV in, and um, I'll be successful with that. And, and they'll say, well, how do, you, how do you do it? And they don't, and a lot of these people don't understand or know, you know, the process of intubating, or, right. or all they see is, you know, my prosthetic arm, me put their IV in, and... They ask, like, oh, and, and you do this? And I'm like, yes, I, I do it. And I work in a care team model. And and, and they're like, oh, wow. And and some are like, they, they just look and they're afraid to ask. 
mm. you know, and other, and, and I'll bring it up. I'll be like, oh, I'm going to just set my prosthesis down here, you know, in, in that to stimulate the conversation, you know, because I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. Right. But I want them to have the opportunity to ask. And we'll have a little dialogue on that. No. And I'll say, yeah, I was born without an arm, but I've, I do. It doesn't happen that often, but people more are, wow, that's great, you know, that you can do this. And the point, one of the, the questions you had asked about colleagues and about bias, you know, we all have our differences. Um, and when I started going to clinical, I couldn't hide my arm. Right. You know, it, even, even with a bad tan, it, it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't look right. Right. Yeah. And even with my other prosthetic, it it's it looks like a robot. Hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like a robot. Terminators, I like to call it. But, <laughs> you know. um, but I walking into the OR, I, I develop relationships with my CRNAs and the anesthesiologists before we saw any patients. And I would say, hey, this is this is how I do things. This is what I have set up. I have this on the gas machine. Have this on the arm. You know, this is where I have the yanker. It's secured to this, and, and and this is how I have it set up. And these are the steps that I follow to be successful. I may, if I run into trouble, I may do this. And the common response was, "Well, what do you need me to do?" You know, mm. I said, "Just, just observe and make sure I don't do anything wrong, right?" And uh, I think that was very successful with that collaboration and that teamwork. Because it allowed me to be successful, and it allowed me to figure out and design different things that I could adapt to the gas machine or to the prosthetic, to whatever anesthesia device, whether it be the Yanker and the tracheal tube or GlideScope or McGrath, you know, how I have things set up just to be able to be successful. Now, you know? I heard there was a YouTube video that's up. Mm-hmm. of your process yeah. uh, several years ago um, Panna uh, started to tell my story and we uh, we made a video at the Weiser Center in Pittsburgh in their simulation lab going through a an induction a mock induction if you would where um, used the gas machine intubated the mannequin with a Mac 3 blade and hooked them up to a circuit so I also have different videos that haven't been released about with spinal placement and epidural placement as well for learning training purposes. So, Right. You said you're working in a, a care team model now. Um, one of the questions that comes to my mind, is there any types of cases that you don't feel comfortable doing or you say, hey, or maybe they say, hey, we don't want Brett to do that. I mean, is there anything like that or you? No. No. No, I, uh, I'll do any case, anything that is, any room I'm assigned to. Um, the position I'm in, I'm float beto- I float between all the, the facilities in the county, um, or, or credentialed at all of those. Um, I've never been in, in, ex- in a situation. I've actually been requested to go to a different hospital to, to provide anesthesia for colleagues, families, things mm-hmm. along those lines. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, there, I'll, I'll do whatever the what's ever asked of me, you know, as, as an anesthetist, but there's nothing that I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to do that. I can't, I can't do that. Well, you've had to learn with, to live with being flexible your entire life. So mm-hmm. that surely flowed over I, to your it has career. To. It does. And it did, you know, you have to 
you have to roll with life's punches, you know, regardless of, of the situation. And you have to overcome. You have to persevere. You have to be optimistic, you know, and you have to put you first. Well, as we kind of wrap everything up, is there anything you want to get across to our listeners or audience or anything that we haven't covered that you think is important today? You know, everything today has just been amazing. Um, you know, I want, I want people to know that we all can succeed if you put your mind to anything. You know, it doesn't matter whether you have one arm, two arms, four arms. If you put your mind to it, you can do it. You know, I want everyone to, to be the leader inside of yourself and inspire yourself, inspire others. This time of, of healthcare is, is changing. We've been through the pandemic and there's so many things out there that we're learning and trying to embark as a profession, as a career, you know, and even with obstacles such as AAs trying to come in, um, you know, we have our lives, work-life balance. Be the leader inside of you. Help inspire yourself, inspire others. You know, I have a physical difference, you know, and that's just me. And it's visible. I, I don't hide it. I can't hide it, right? We can do what we can do to make our career and our lives better. Be culturally innovative and help people with disabilities. Help them succeed to their potential. You know, like my experience, I, it wasn't me. I had a great collaboration. It was people that looked at me that knew how I could critically think you know, as a nurse, as a medic, as an anesthesia provider. And they helped me reach my goals to become a nurse anesthetist. You know, practice that, endure that. You know, I'm here, I'm here on this panel and on this podcast to help all of us, you know, in institutions, how to bridge that gap, you know, to make advanced practice nursing care better, to give that higher level of care to our patients, regardless of disability or cultural differences. Yeah, I think mean, it's amazing. And there's a lot of students in this room, and I think they probably are picking up on what you're saying more than anybody. Um, we know anesthesia school is tough. It's hard. Um, but you can do it. You can get through it. Brett got through it, and he had something that limited him, but he figured out a way to overcome that. And he not only overcame it, you developed a whole new system that had never been done before so you could do that. And I think that is amazing in itself. And it tells a lot about you and your character. And we, we really want to thank you for being here today. We're, we're, we're proud to be here at PANA. And it's been a wonderful meeting and conference. And Sharon, I'm going to say it's a wrap. I think so. Brett, thank you so much for being yeah. on today. Thank and you for uh, this opportunity to speak with yeah. all of you. Absolutely. Thank you. Until next time. It's a wrap. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support.
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.